today, I would like to speak to you about uh, the Lord and three man-made institutions he's created to help protect and give us safety. One is nation, one is family, and one is the local church. I'll be spending most of my time the next several Sundays talking about the local church, but as an introductory way, I want to introduce those three things. I do believe that the culture we live in today is doing everything in its power to destroy all three of those institutions. The nation, the local church, and the family. And those are the man-made institutions God set up here on earth to help protect us, to secure us, and comfort us. And I want to talk a little bit about those and our roles in those things today. And it should be no surprise that the enemy would have us without our defenses. Now, even if the enemy is able to strip us of those three things, we still have the Lord and the Holy Spirit. So we never want to forget that. But while we're on here on earth, I do want to hold those other things and put them in proper perspective. Okay? So that being said, here is what I see is the verse that should be pretty familiar to you. It's Ephesians 4.16. I would like to read that. Let me start at verse 15 just to provide a little context. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the local church. Not a man, not a committee, not a board of directors. Jesus Christ is the head of the local church. And this is what the local church looks like. Verse 16. Notice all the nouns, right? From whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But notice he, what he describes the church as, the whole body. That's why... We looked and we figured how many people are sick and vacationing and family commitments. You got a quarter of the body that's not here. If you were missing a quarter of your biological body, I think you'd go, ouch. Amen? Right? You'd be a little hampered. Hopefully we are feel that way spiritually when we've got that much missing. The whole body, every joint, every part, the body... God likens the local church to a human body. And you think, oh, I'm nothing more than a big toe. I'm not, I, I know a football player that lost a scholarship because he lost a big toe on a lawnmower. I mean, with that, he couldn't play football anymore. It's, every body part is important, okay? Every joint, every part, and it's the body again. And notice these verbs here. Notice what every part and every joint is doing. They're fitly joined together. God puts you here for a purpose. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest member. It doesn't matter if you're the oldest member. 
It doesn't matter if you're the smartest member or you've only been reading your Bible for a little bit. God put us all here for a purpose. And we all supply. We're all effectual. We all make increase of the body. And we all edify. And I think I left out the word compact too. That means the connections are tight. That's the way the local church is supposed to be. Okay? And one way, we've done this to ourselves. When I go through the Bible and I look at the word church, it's used somewhere between 120 and 130 times. I can't find one place, not one, where it's talking about a denominational church like Wells Fargo, and you just go to a bunch of different branches. You got There is not a primitive Baptist church with a bunch of branches. I can't find one place where the word church is used that way. It's talking a local body of believers. That means the, the few that are assembled here that are on the roll of this church, that means God's given us everything we need from a human standpoint. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his word. We need his intervention. You understand, I'm not ruling God out, but from a human perspective, we have everything we need with this Bible here, right? Okay. Okay, that's one. Number two, the family. Oh, um, the family, I would like to quote 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In other words, there's a duty we have to our family members. <clears throat> and a lot of people read that verse and they think that's talking about a bum of a father that won't provide for his children. Well, sure, certainly the lesson applies, but you know what that really is talking about if you read the context above and below? It's talking about taking care of your older members. And that doesn't mean just your mother or your mother-in-law. It means an aunt that may have never married or maybe she married and her husband's dead and never had children. I mean, the Lord would have us as family look out and take care of folks. That's the way he's designed the family. Okay? And the last one is nation. And I would quote Psalm thirty-three, twelve. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I guess the only thing I can really say is I can, and I don't want to get too far with that too, because governments are still made man, and some go in and out of favor with God, and we certainly don't want to, to, to put too highly esteemed what we do have there. But he has set up kingdoms, He's set up uh, with borders and with things like that. And he does put us in a situation where um, uh, governments are, are, are his choosing and he's chosen us in there. And I kind of liked it. Most of you, a lot of you are probably too young, but I still remember the craze that went on in 1980 when the U.S. hockey team beat Russia hockey team. A bunch of inexperienced college kids beat some pros and the nation was on this high going, USA, USA. There's a little bit of pride we have as a nation. And I think that pride comes from the individual rights we were given by our forefathers who carved out that document leaning so much heavily on Scripture. 
And we think we have a pretty good system here that protects us and allows us to preach and to worship freely and without fear. I think it's okay to protect that and be thankful for it and not want people to come and destroy that. Okay? That's as far as I'm going to go on nationalism. The other two I I will support a lot stronger. Okay? But what I'd like to do is I want to look at these three from different aspects. And let's talk about our local church just for a second because I want to kind of back into that one. But in a local church, we have different members, and I pray that as a local church, we have different members, and those members have each other's back. I think if we're all connected, like it says there in Ephesians 4.16, we've got each other's back. In other words, when someone's down, you lift them up. When someone's hurting, you come alongside and you strengthen and you, they can lean on you. Do you understand that? That's what we're there for. And, and, and at certain times, different men will come in and, or different women will come in and be those strong places. And here's an example. And I just, I love this illustration. When my boys were really small and they were growing up, I talked all the time about David's mighty men. And there was 33 mighty men, and I'm not going to read all 33 mighty men today, but I want to get the top three, the top three uh, colonels, I guess is the best way to put it. This is in 2 Samuel 23. And here are the three, Adino, Eleazar, and Shema. But look at these guys. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachamanite that sat in the seat, <clears throat> chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Esnite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Okay? Can you imagine going into an old-fashioned army where the armies came together and one guy took out 800 all by himself? I can't even imagine swinging my sword 800 times and not getting tired. I'd be tired. The Lord must have been with him. And that's assuming he got, got, him, got the job done with one swing. Okay? okay. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the 33 men of David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. Hear that? He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand claved unto his sword and the Lord brought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Here's a guy that covered the flank all by himself. Do you see that? It said the people fled. He did not flee. He stood in the gap and he stood against the enemy in that open flank position. And he swung and he swung and he swung. And this guy swung so much that when he was done, they had to go like this with his finger and pry the fingers off his sword because it was so stuck on there. And that's war. That's stuff for teenage boys, right? No, this is the way the church should operate. What, what, what if, if the church was going through this and all the people fled? But Sister Peggy, you can pray until your knees won't bend again. Do you understand? And you got to go like this and straighten them up. You probably do that sometimes anyway, like me, right? But you can do that. You can be that Eleazar, right? 
Maybe the church's flank is open and we're ignorant, but you see it. You can pray. You can be that person. You can cover our flank. (coughs) Verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herarite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. Here's another guy. This time, here's three soldiers, and they're going to stand in the gap. Just the people fled. Three people made a difference. In the other case, one person made a difference. Now, we need those one persons and three persons. You're thinking, that's ancient history. That happened thousands of years ago. We're going to come forward and we're going to see that same kind of thing going on in the book of Acts when the New Testament church was getting started. Got it? And it's just not men. It's just not soldiers. It's men and women. It's husbands and wives. We're going to see those fellows and those, those ladies. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Three people made a difference. Doesn't that excite you? I hope it does. Okay. So, let's fast forward. We're going fast about a thousand years. And now we're at the time of Christ. And Paul is starting to evangelize. And he's covering the Medi- around, all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. And he's going into these cities and he's preaching. And as he's preaching, he's riling up everybody. He's riling up the Jews that are already there. He's riling up the Gentiles that are there. He's riling up silversmiths because he's taking away their pagan gods and their livelihood. Everybody's mad at Paul. And guess what he has? There's some men that stand up. And you know what they do? They cover his flank. They cover his flank. Let's read about one of them. His name is Jason. This is in Acts 17. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them... This is a paraphrase, because I was trying to feed this in there. You go back and read this in your scripture. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar. Does that sound familiar? You can go back one year. Remember the stuff we were... Right? Just hiring lewd fellows to cause a riot. There's nothing new under the sun, y'all. And set all the people in the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These have turned the world upside down and come hither also. And then I skip down to verse 9. And when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. In other words, what happened was is they let Paul sneak out the back and Jason stood in the gap between the Jews and Paul as he was trying to spread the gospel. The same thing happened in Acts chapter 18 with a man named Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Anyone recognize Sosthenes? Anyone recognize that name? He's the pastor at Corinth. Did you know that? He's the pastor at Corinth. I want to tell you about him in a second, but let's look what happened here. Same thing was going on. This uh, Galileo, he is a Roman chief, kind of like Pontius Pilate was at the time of Christ. And when Galileo <coughs> was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Very parallel to what they did with Pilate. 
saying, This fellow pursueth men to worship God contrary to the law. And he drave them from the judgment seat. In other words, this Galileo learned from Pontius Pilate and says, you know, I don't care anything about your religion. You're having upset with this uh, Jewish man that's converted to Christianity. Is it going as you, you deal with it? And he says, get out of here. Get out of my judgment hall. Get this stuff out of here. Verse 17, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat and Galileo cared for none of those things. It was another case where he became a whipping boy. Paul, you go. And he went and he stood in the gap and he stood in the way and took the beating. Now, Sosthenes turned out to be the pastor over at Corinth. Do you remember the first couple of chapters of Corinth? <clears throat> they had an argument. What, were they, what was the, one of the first arguments? They had a lot of arguments at Corinth. But one of the first arguments was what? Anyone know? The best preacher. Remember? I like Paul's preaching. I like Peter's preaching. Uh-uh. I like Apollos' preaching. Guess who was the pastor? Sosthenes. You know what I like in it too? I'm going to steal this from Brother Glenn Blanchard. He likens visiting preachers to butterflies. They come in, they're real pretty, they're real quiet, they flit in, they cross-pollinate a little bit, and then they fly off. And guess who's left? The bumblebee. (laughs) He's not as pretty, he's noisy, sometimes he stings. But you know what? He makes all the honey, right? Sosthenes. How come no one said, I like Sosthenes? No, they like the visiting preachers because they don't have to step on your toes, right? But here's Sosthenes. And not only did he do that, when the butterflies came in, he protected the butterflies and he got the beating as they kind of went away to continue on the evangelizing. Okay. <clears throat> Other preachers who def- or demonstrated uh, selfishness. There's so many about Paul. I had to pick one verse. I picked second uh, uh, Corinthians twelve fifteen. Paul will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly he loved you, he, the less he was loved. He didn't care. He was doing it for the cause of Christ. Uh, Philippians two twenty five through 30, there was a preacher named Ephroditus who was sick nigh unto death. And it says, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. He did not regard his life and just simply to supply your lack of service towards me. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9. Paul was speaking. He said, we, if you go up to the introduction, the we included Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, imparted unto you not only the gospel, but their own souls. They labored and travailed night and day, and they also worked so they would not be chargeable. And then finally, Acts 20, 24. Paul was giving his swan song of the church at Ephesus. And he says, listen, you watched me in the way I conducted myself. That's the way I want you to conduct yourselves. To the elders, he said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So here's some very selfless preachers that were standing in the gap making up the hedges. Why? To protect the body. They were like David's mighty men. These are God's mighty men or Jesus' mighty men. 
All right, let's go where it gets a little more close. We expect the preachers to do that, don't we? Maybe they don't. Maybe they hightail and run. But let's go look at some members now. All right? Okay. But before I do, I, you know, this story just kept coming back to me and back to me. And that's the story of David and Goliath. I want you to notice David's words. You know, we all know the story of the little boy, and I, I don't know how old he was. I knew he's called a, a young stripling. So I don't know exactly what a stripling is, but if I had to guess, I'm guessing maybe 15, 16, something like that. But anyway, here's this young adolescent. And Israel is in danger. The Philistines are coming. They're going to attack Israel. The two armies are set in array in their battle. David was one of eight boys David's father, Jesse, already sent his three oldest sons to war. His three oldest sons to war. And David, being the eighth, the youngest of the eight boys, is back home doing all the chores, taking care of the sheep, you know, feeding the sheep, slopping the pigs. Oh, I know Jewish didn't have pigs, but you understand, he was doing all the chores. And Jesse, David's dad, says, you know, I sure want to know how that war's going on. And he says, David... I want you to go and take these 10 cheeses and bring them to your brother's captain. Not to your brother's. To cap- you give them the bread. You give the cheeses to the captain of your brother's. So he takes off and he goes. And we know the story as he comes up with the 10 cheeses. He hears Goliath. Notice what happened. Goliath defied Israel. Look what David said when after he was rehearsing this. I'm in 1 Samuel 17. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel. You know, he's back back in 1980 when USA is going to fight Rush, or play Russian hockey. He's screaming, USA, US. He's singing Israel. He's got some loyalty. Now back there, there was a national state where the nation was the church and it was God's country. But you understand that he's got some loyalty to this country. And he says, how dare you defy Israel? How dare you defy the God of Israel? Notice notice his mentality. He's willing to stand in the gap. None of the soldiers wouldn't. His oldest three brothers did it. All the other soldiers were saying, forget it. Even his king, who should have been doing it, didn't do it. He says, you're too young. Notice what he says, though. Surely to defy Israel is come up, and it shall be that the man that killeth him, that kill, will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and make him his father's house free. (coughs) That means no more taxes. Got it? Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David, in this language here, is very jealous for the God's nation. He's, do you see it right there? He's willing to take a risk. He's willing to stand in the gap. He's willing to defend himself. So 
he goes and has this great battle. And now he, as, he's fa- as he's facing, notice his words to Goliath. Notice the, the, the loyalty to nation and, and to church and to state and to king. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You defied God and you defied his army. This day the Lord will deliver thee into thy hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take the head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host this day to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, David's all about protecting, Right? Josiah, in a very small way, I heard the reports of how you got challenged last year in eighth grade in that school. You were being a David. You were going against the faculty, the administration. You were going against fellow students. And you were standing up there and doing that. And in essence, the only thing difference was David was a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> But you were doing that. I'm complimenting. I'm, I'm praising you for being able to do that. And, and you took it. And you came back and you said, Brother Dolph, you said, Dad, what should I say? They said this. I didn't know how to answer that. What would be a good response? Do you understand? We can do this. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's get back to where in the pew now, right? I'm in Romans chapter 16. Now, we're going away from soldiers. We're going to go away from Adino and Eliezer and Shuma, soldiers, battle-worn veterans. We're going to go away from a shepherd, a 16-year-old boy. You're 15, right? 15? That's pretty close, right there. And we're going to go to a woman and a husband and wife. Notice what they do. This is just a couple of them. Romans 16 and verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, <coughs> which is in Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer, that means a helper or a supplier, of many and of also myself. Man, she was there. She was serving. She was providing food. She was providing nourishment. So when we were tired, she gave us rest. She, she was just facilitating the preaching of the gospel in any way. Okay? Here's the husband and wife, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks. All of a sudden, we're getting a little serious here, aren't we? Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Wow, look at that. Look what they were doing. They were risking their lives against Jews and Gentiles, facilitating helping Paul preach, but they also appears to have an underground church that met in their house. Do they got Paul's back? The answer is yes. 
We've got it so easy here in America so far. Amen? Are we willing to step it up? If we can become the church of Ephesians 4.16, we'll be in a lot better shape to take those kind of pressures. But if we are disconnected, if we are not compact, if every joint is not supplying, if every member is not effectual, we're going to crumble and cave in. If we are viewing ourselves as a denominational church where we go to a bunch of branches, we're not going to have those connections that we need as described in Ephesians 4.16. We've got to be thinking of ourselves as a local church, strengthening ourselves from within. And again, we're dependent on God. You understand, I am not downplaying or forgetting that one single bit. I'm just talking in a practical sense. It's so important. Okay? So, let's go back to Scripture. That's what I wanted to to share with you today. Let's go back to our original passage. Let's go to Ephesians 4.16. I'm going to turn there one more time. And then we'll be done. I think you're probably tired of hearing about the one another's in the New Testament. But you know there are 30 of them that I found. And, okay, I won't give you all 30 if you pass this test. What's the most important one another? Consider. Amen, good, right? The most important one another is consider. We can find that in Hebrews 10.24. You're thinking, wow, that sounds like a boring one. Everybody always picks love one another. That's the most important one, right? But how do I know how to love Brother Danny if I haven't stopped for a second and thought about him? And the answer is I don't, right? Maybe I'm watching Danny and I'm looking at him and and maybe at this point in time he needs encouragement, or, or maybe I'm looking at Brother Danny and I love him, and the way I love him is I show him exhortation. Or, or maybe this time I love him, I simply go on, I, put, I don't say anything and put my arm around him and just pray for him. Amen? So, so the most important one another is to consider. Okay, that means, you know, the little ring in the gerbil cage that you're in there and you go, that's our lives. What you do is you stop the ring, you step outside the ring, and you stop and you watch for a little while. And you say, okay, I think I know what this person needs. And that's true of all the one another's. So I'm still turning, I'm going back to Ephesians 4.16. Friends, you can't do that except in a local church. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. The whole body is every member. Fitly joined together. We're all here for a purpose. Compacted means we're tight. A couple times a month we have dinner on the grounds. It's a potluck. I'm not your judge. But just think. 
Who do I sit next to? Do I always sit next to the same people all the time? Do I mix it up? Do I try to get to know other people? Not just our visitors, but other people in our church, other members. Who haven't I sat next to in a long time? Do you do that? What you're doing is every member connected to every other member. Got it? It's amazing what you'll find out. Okay. By that which every joint supplieth. No, it's not the older ones supply for the youngers. And I, 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 I know this sounds cliche, but how many people go to a church to find out, well, I don't get anything out of that church. Well, what do you give to the church? It's not about getting always. It's about giving. What are you supplying to that church? Nothing. Well, maybe that's why you're getting nothing. Okay? That every joint supplieth, we need you. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Paul, can't you just kind of keep on using that word every? Can't you just let me out of a couple of these things? Effectually working in the measure of every part. Now what you're doing is profitable. And what happens when we're doing that? It says, maketh increases increase of the body. It could be in numbers. It could be in spirituality. It could be in strength. That's what we're here for. Unto the edifying of itself, but the most important two words are the last two words, in love. You can exhort in love. You can comfort in love. You can charge in love. You can encourage in love. You can do the hard things. You can do the, the fun things. You can do the, the busy things. But you've got to do it in love. And that will increase the body. And what happens when the body is increased? Number one, we glorify a Lord. And number two, we become salt and light in the community in which we live. Salt and light within your own family, with our young people, with our neighbors, with our co-workers. And I pray that that can spread forth and we can be that kind of place. So today I preach that message on a day when there's about a quarter of us gone. Um, how many are going to be pricked to contact? Miss you on Sunday. Not a guilty one. Not a guilty we missed you. Just we really missed you. I missed your singing. I missed your praying. I missed your presence. I missed your little kids running around. I missed. We didn't have a baby in the cry room squealing at the top of his lungs today. I kind of missed that. As a preacher, I don't always miss that, but you understand. It's my own grandson, so I can't complain too much. Right? Have you done that? We should be doing that. May the Lord bless us to become mighty men and women of the Bible. Mighty saints. Standing in the gap and making up the hedge. And it doesn't have to be a sword. It can be with prayer.